the best, the worst of 2020. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. I have Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. Glad to be here, Luke. And Dan Pierce. Welcome. Hey. We are taking a look back at the best and worst of 2020, the year that I'm pretty sure all of us want to forget. Um, But we can't because we have memories and things like that. So we're going to talk about the best and worst in geek entertainment. Now, there's going to be a little bit of a difference this year. Unlike past years where we've talked about both TV and film, we're not going to talk about film because this year was truncated, as everybody knows. Very few movies actually came out, and it does a disservice to the a lot of them to try and only base our picks for best or worst of the year on a very small selection that just happened sort of so next year when we do the best and worst if there is a movie from 2020 that aired like say tenant and you want to include it in 2021 i will allow it so that's how we're going to handle film we're going Uh, to hold them we're holding you to that luke i'm just saying well we make things up as we go along mel so you just remind me of it we do Okay, so the first category of our wonderful annual categories, and as everybody who listens to either of my podcasts knows, year-end podcasts are my favorite. Baby, come back! The character you most want back, Melody. I have, and it's from a new show, um, Tick from Lovecraft Country. Uh, I'm not going to count this as spoilers anymore because... We should have had enough time to see it. So in the final episode of the season, Atticus Tick, that beautiful, beautiful man, dies. He sacrifices himself for, for his baby, his family, for everyone else. And I was really <laughs> saddened to see him go because he's a great actor, the actor in general. I like the character because he had... A ton on his plate. He didn't know a lot was going on. I mean, you have all these supernatural things coming towards you. But he always tried, at least tried, to either do the right thing. And if he didn't do it right, he tried to make it right. And to lead a show for 10, 11 episodes was a great thing. And to know that he won't be back next season makes me very sad. So, okay, Dan? Uh, for me, you'll appreciate this one, Luke, because it is to remedy a character that we've been complaining about a lot. So I have Nissa Al Ghul to Legends of Tomorrow. And how will I appreciate that exactly? Because then Ava isn't as much of a thing. Because holy oh, cow! So you're, so, you're, she... so you're using her as the band-aid to fix what ails legends of tomorrow not necessarily because i have appreciation for the character you want to come back 
Well, that and I okay. just I just I wasn't I, sure quite what your context was because yes, I've ne- no, I've, I've never been a like Razagul always have loved the character in all of his forms, but the daughters I'm I'm take them or leave them. So when you said that, I was like, I don't understand how this is important to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, so Nissa what you're saying is, is based the on of Sarah's life, right? And we need to fix legends and add a little bit more of Sarah's past to legends and focus a lot less on Ava and Gary. Now, it doesn't appear like they're going to be doing that with Gary uh, as right. they bumped him up to contract. However, uh, I mean, Nissa's actress is game. She's ready to go. And we just we need to make this happen. We I, need Nissa and Sarah back together. I uh, Nissa and Sarah, have they actually been together? Like they alluded to it, but were they actually together? Because uh, in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, which I believe was their first encounter, the impression that I got was that Nissa was checking out Sarah. No, no, they've been am together. I, like, am I wrong on that? Like, it's been a long time. So, like, it's been almost a year because we haven't had new legends in a very long time. But I thought the whole thing on Crisis was that Nissa on her Earth was interested in Sarah, and they were technically from different ones. And then we wanted Nissa on this Earth to hook up with Sarah. No, 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 they were on from both the same Earth. Uh, Nissa and uh, Sarah Lance were on the same Earth. Remember, they hooked up early on in Arrow. Okay, early I forgot about on that. Okay, I they... forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That. No, 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 no. That okay. that was a long, long ago pairing. Well, yeah. It's it was sort so of like long ago. It's been so long ago. It would have never crossed my mind that by default Nissa was destined for Sarah, as Dan has suggested. Yeah, because the history was that Sarah, Nessa found Sarah after uh, One of she the was pools. pulled out of the Amazo, the Amazo, when that whole business. Remember early on when the ship, the Amazo the escaped. Boat? Yeah, the escape the, the the ship escaped the island. Nessa found Sarah after that, and then Sarah joined the league. I really hope that anybody who has um, never watched Arrow and has only watched us talk about Legends of Tomorrow and Sarah, <laughs> has not just got completely lost by our description. But go ahead, Dan. Can fi- finish up on Nyssa and why she should return. I just think she has so... She's such a good character. I mean, with her and... I, I know these characters aren't necessarily part of Legends, but it's a testament to her character. Her relationship with Oliver and how complicated that is, how dedicated she is to that family and her relationship with Felicity and how she, she trains Mia like that. That's destined to happen is Nissa trains Mia to become the next green arrow. So, so what you're really saying is you just want arrow back or the, it's not that I want arrow them. back, but I want more ties to who Sarah is. Sarah spent the last episode of Crisis 
uh, being sad that everyone from her previous life is no longer there. To put a semi-tie to that life as well as a love interest that she has this deep connection to, to sort of help remedy this, like, just hard situation to watch, I, I, I think it would be beneficial. Okay. Mo. So for me, it's actually it's actually a group of characters I want to come back, just not a singular person. And that's the, the entire night- cast of the magicians. No, but close enough. It's the Knights of the Order of Saint Christopher from Netflix's The Order, which Netflix, you know, unceremoniously canceled. I need to see what's going to happen next with my group of werewolves and whether or not they finish their degrees or are they going to end up all dead or sucked into, you know, some sort of alternate hellscape dimension. See that show. I, do you remember back in the nineties when we had those like Saturday afternoon or evening, late night, depending on what time, if you were watching it in a rerun or if you were watching it when it airs original episodes, those syndicated shows like Mutant X and um, VIP and all of those type of shows that were really popular back then for like programming reasons. Yes, I ate those shows up. (laughs) I did too. Like Earth Final Conflict. I love Earth Final Conflict. The Order sort of felt like a... (laughs) Oh, what was the one? Was it Clio 2027 or something like that? Like 20... Like there was something like along those lines. It... I watched it and it, it definitely improved... But I was like, this is not long for life. Yeah, okay, so so yeah, you're talking about Cleopatra twenty. Cleopatra, uh, okay, yes. Twenty five, twenty five. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. But at the same time, three three seasons of the order, I'd be happy with three seasons of the order. But they left it on such a cliffhanger. You know, I need another season to just kind of wrap things up. I mean. I can't it, believe a, if you were going to choose a show to to bring back that needs more episodes, picking the order over the chilling adventures of Sabrina is like. Mm. Well, actually, I, if I had to do, if honestly, I would pick Glow uh, over that, any of them. So I agree preach. with you there. I preach. Uh, I agree. Glow is amazing, but I, in this COVID world, there's no way that that massive of, of a cast can just logistically do it. There's just no way at least exactly in, in my opinion there, i mean i look at glow the same way i look at pushing daisies and dirty money dirty sexy money on abc during the writer's strike both of those shows were brilliant shows that had the writer's strike not happened probably would have run much longer glow had it not been for covid would have run much longer at least that's how I, that's my rationale. My baby comeback is a single character on a show uh, um, on CBS All Access. She only recently left and already her absence is stark. Empress Philippa Georgia. Because 
I I need Michelle Yo uh, or Yao on my on Star Trek Discovery. I can't go on without her on this show. And what's weird about it is the setup to her departure was painful. They put her in an alternate timeline reality, however you want to put it, so that she could go through this growth period of being being a better person. And then they sent her off to it or they sent her off so that it was her exit story. And I'm like, the lead up, I was getting really sick of the alternate like timeline storyline thing because I was like, where in the hell is this going? I did not actually think that they were going to write this character off. And they did. I'm with Star Trek. You can come back at any time. I'm sure it's entirely possible. We've already had characters that have disappeared and we've been told we're dead. And then they came back, AKA the doctor. So I'm holding my, I'm crossing my fingers, but as of right now, I'm in my feels about Philippa being gone. Well, well, Luke, they had to write her off because she's getting a spinoff. She's getting that Star Trek section 31 spinoff. It's one of the ones that's been announced. I still need her to make guest appearances. Kill them already. The character you most want killed or would be happiest to see gone. I'm guessing that at least three out of four of us have the same person. With Mel possibly being the exception. But Mo, who do you have? So Luke, I'm probably already going to play spoiler on this one. If you do not have Gary or Ava, I will be shocked. Well, you prepared to be shot because I have okay. William I'll, I will Day. be shocked. Yes. I have William Day from the Supergirl. Uh, he needs to go. Like like you said previously, we're stuck with Gary Green. There's not a whole lot you can do about that, but William Day needs to go so they can, they can clear the pathway for Lena and Carr to get together. It's the final season. She just they just need to just say, kill him off quickly. Hasn't this show won't. been canceled? So, like, isn't he technically going to go one way or the other? That's true. Well, yeah, but I don't want to eat like <laughs> sixteen to twenty episodes of him cooing up the car and and car like, well, do I need? Should I tell William my secret identity? Mm, I don't Ooh. know. Mm, there's no chemistry between them. This, no. I mean. There's oh, absolutely British no liberty. Liberty is not long for this world. <laughs> liberty. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, like, seriously, she he does not need to be cars in game. That, that that's I'll just leave it at that. Dan. I got Gary Green. Come on. I know. 100% have Gary Green. I, he I makes am... the show so much worse. At least with Ava, she is like competent in the field. She like is understands she really like, the tactical situations. Yes, she's a it, she's not good and doesn't make the cast healthier. No, in no, any but way. is Ava competent? Because I remember a lot of episodes in which the primary story of the episode is how she fucks up and then has to fix it. So I don't know that I would necessarily call her competent. Competent as a okay, so the legends pride themselves on being incompetent. So from that perspective, within the 
lines of legends as like an entity she is quote unquote competent now do i like her no do i wish she would go away yes but do i wish she would go away more than gary no gary needs to go before anybody i am sick of it he was a villain at the end of what season four five what what with the why triple nipple here? Why was he in season six? Or I'm sorry, uh, season four. Why was he in season five? Why is he, you know, being on contract in season six? I just, I have so many, like. I swear what, he has why is this tapes on somebody. That's the only thing that can explain it. <clears throat> yeah, I I 100% agree. Mel? Um, I have, and this is a character that's going to be leaving. We just don't know how yet. But I actually have Ralph Dibney from The Flash. I don't care about anything his silly-ass character is doing anymore. I don't care. Does it matter to me? They, it already felt like they were hanging on to that character too long. But now, because of the actor's actions, we know the character will be leaving. And that is wonderful for me. My kill them already is Gary on Legends of Tomorrow. I do not understand like how a character can infest a show. He's he's literally the cockroach of this show. He never ever dies. We see other characters who are much more beloved end up exiting the show and Gary is still here. The Time Bureau Having those agents, it was like, I liked him when he was first on. The first couple times where he would just show up as a stowaway or something like that, it was fine. But he has eaten the show alive and he needs to die. Every hero needs a sidekick. Best sidekick of 2020, Dan. Uh, I don't know how much of a sidekick she was, but technically speaking, she is the sidekick to the main hero. But Thunder slash Blackbird had a fantastic year. Anissa w- really came into her own as a, a hero and a character. She was able to do her own thing and her own storyline while still uh, helping Pierce and her dad at the end. Or, or I'm sorry, Jeff. Um, I... I really, I really liked her arc, and so for me, she is the best sidekick of 2020. Mel. Well, I have none other than Baby Yoda. Oh, that's a <laughs> good me, one. He is the ultimate sidekick. It's a situation of when you see Mando, you know Baby Yoda's not far behind, and Baby Yoda has his back all day, every day. Doesn't matter what it is, he's gonna come through. With the force hand, he's going to choke somebody out. He's going to throw somebody across the room. It's going to happen, okay? Those two, Baby Yoda is the ultimate 2020 sidekick. He might commit a little bit of genocide along the way. I mean, uh, you know, the first bit of a hungry. And you might need to eat some frog eggs. I don't know. That was, in an otherwise stellar season, <laughs> that little sidetrack into the Jar Jar Binks of the Mandalorian was an, an, a series of unfortunate events, including mass genocide. Um, Mo, uh, for me, I actually have say sidekicks plural. Um, it's from his Dark Materials. It's Lyra Bellacroix. 
Um, and William Perry, I mean, they are Ooh. each other's sidekicks. I was going to say, mean, how are they sidekicks? They're the two leads of the show. But they're each other's sidekick. Okay. I mean, like, you okay. have... That's good. And, I'm, and I appreciate the fact that you were able to come up with that nuance, Mo, because I really wanted his dark materials to be on it, and it was a really great second season, but I wasn't able to fit them in anywhere. So I'm glad you were able to. Well, think about it, because, I mean, you have Lyra and Pan... And they're aiding Will on his quest to find his dad. You got Will with the subtle knife, you know, cutting through reality, helping Lyra to escape her 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 crazy ass mother. I mean, they they have each other's back. I mean, um, but yeah, I think they have great the, the two actors, uh, Daphne Keene, um, who you know we know from X. Uh, she was X twenty three. Laura Kenny. And uh, Old Man Logan and then Amir Wilson, who I've never seen in anything before. I mean, they have really great chemistry together. And and it really works. And I think that it the, the two of them as partners in crime really helped make uh, the second season of His Dark Materials pop for me. Everybody needs a sidekick. Mine is a tie, but both of them come from the same show. One is a longtime sidekick who got sort of a promotion this season. The other is a newly introduced character who is not only a good sidekick, but he is hot. The first is Tilly, who has been Michael's sidekick on the Discovery for multiple seasons. She came into her own as acting captain, and it has been glorious to see her evolve from sidekick to sidekick who's getting a temporary promotion. And then there's Cleveland Booker, who him and Michael have so much chemistry. They almost made my couple of the year. Um, and he's hot. And he he's the type of rogue character that I like in my sci-fi shows. The one that comes in. It pops in when you need them and then disappears. And he always has something interesting. And that's how he started the season. And as the season is coming to its close, he's they're trying to incorporate him in a little into the actual like crew of the Discovery in his own way. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But hit him as a sidekick for Michael in the early part of the season to the, and then before she was reunited with Tilly, Tilly has been her sidekick through multiple seasons and this season, even though Tilly is getting a temporary promotion. The biggest frack up of 2020. Mel. I actually found someone to replace Barry on this list. If you could believe it. Wow. Sabrina Spellman. Come on down to the table, ma'am. Come on down. Oh, it's your time. Okay. Let me tell you something. So you mean to tell me that because you have decided to fall in love with the wrong person who may or may not have been possessed by Satan. Okay. He definitely was. And is now in hell because you made a deal to save everyone. You mean to tell me now we have to go to hell to save your dumb boyfriend? Girl, no. I wish she would come in my room talking about that. No, ma'am, we're not doing that. Then, once you get to hell, you continue to make bad decisions, and everyone ends up stuck in a time loop from hell that we have to put another version of you in hell to eventually save everyone? No, girl. You're going to have to make some better decisions here, Sabrina, because I don't know what to tell you. As her power gets stronger, she loses more of her common sense, which is interesting 
I will say it's an interesting writing choice, but it's still like a Sabrina. I still like you, but I am side eyeing every decision you make. You are not going to like my favorite couple of the year. Um, what? Uh, what what I think is interesting about that is the difference between Sabrina and Barry is Barry <laughs> is an adult. Sabrina is a girl who's still in high school, and that's like a time where everybody makes really stupid decisions. And there has to be a line. Though. And there, there and, and, a line where you say, you know what? He's in hell. And he's gonna have to stay there, right? But I, it's young, is, angsty teen love. No penis in this world that I am going to hell for. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could use that as the like the tagline for this podcast. No penis in he- that I'm going to hell for. I'm not. Okay, it's not um, Dan, biggest frack up. <laughs> I, I don't know how I could possibly follow that. Um, <laughs> so my biggest frack up is Mando leaving Baby Yoda's side when he was meditating on that rock. Because you are leaving that baby wide open. Wide open. I understand that, like, it, it start, the scene starts out with, um, uh, uh, what's this, Boba Fett and the other, um, assassin kind of attacking Mando, but then they have to sort of team up in order to attack the other, um, you know, forces coming in from Moff Gideon's, uh, ships. I just, you, you got to play closer to the vest. You got to play it closer to that rock. Uh, there was too much distance there and you're leaving baby Yoda wide open. And thus he gets kidnapped as a result of your dumbassery. I just, it, it was very frustrating and I, and it didn't help with, um, with his ship getting destroyed and just a lot of bad things happening all at once. Uh, I was very hurt. Mo? For me, it's the chief, uh, portrayed by Timothy Dalton from Doom Patrol. Uh, I mean, the chief... Oh, that is a good one. I mean, let's let's run down the list, shall we? He has manipulated Cliff Steele into, uh, you know, who was already a just a massive screw-up as a parent, but just literally played with him, you know, for decades before finally getting this person, you know, a a metallic body that they can interact with in the world. And then, you know, of course, spinning out of that every time Cliff tries to, you know, mend his relationship with his daughter, something crazy happens that interrupts that. Um, you've got the whole situation with Jane and how he's manipulated her different personalities for his different whims over the decades. I mean, his own daughter, Dorothy, who, you know, he wants to keep as a young woman in a sort of a perpetual childlike state. No, he's trying to keep that demon away. Well, yeah, and, and, and look, but, but, but by man, again, by manipulating his own daughter, manipulating the event, he's inadvertently unleashed that demon he was trying to keep uh, bottled up, contained. I mean, he, the man just continuously weaves lives and deceit that constantly puts the world and even the universe in danger. 
he is he is the new holder of the biggest frack out. He stole that crown from Barry easily. I have one that will trump them all. The biggest frack up of 2020 is the CW for canceling the Black Light or Black Lightning. Ooh. This is an amazing show. I do not understand why Black Lightning was canceled. It had compelling characters. It wasn't the formula of the Arrowverse that we had become accustomed to. It told its own unique stories. There was more characterization and emotional depth in the Jefferson family dynamics. And even its villains were stronger. So much of the Arrowverse characters villains tends to come across as cartoonish there's some mustache twirling on black lightning yes but they were powerful characterizations and so for the cw to cancel the show that provides the actual depth to its lineup big frack up giant frack up biggest frack up of 2020 the Buffy Summers Hero of the Year Award. Damn. I I don't know how anyone can pick anyone else. It's Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker coming in clutch. The sole X-Wing walking through the hallway. Green lightsaber. Let's go. All of those dark troopers. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Had nothing on him. He's able to take in Baby Yoda. Uh, he brought um, R2-D2 with him. It was just like this really powerful and touching scene, and he saves the day. I, It was so cool. Um, and it really capped off an amazing season of The Mandalorian. Besides Baby Yoda genocide. Besides Baby Yoda genocide. Mo. So, Dan, when I think of the Buffy Summers Award... I think of a character who goes through an arc similar to Buffy. And that's why I disagree with Luke Skywalker. For me, this was there was actually a lot of contenders. But the one who I think uh, embodies Buffy, the flaws, the strength, everything, is Ava Silva from Netflix's Warrior Nun. She becomes the Halo Bearer. With the Halo, she gets these powers to fight demons see the correlation there she has her own giles even though that turns out to be something else she has her own scooby gang who are a bunch of these sister warrior nuns um it's a beautifully shot show it she the character of ava you know again like buffy initially rejects you know her her new status and you spend a good portion of the first season with her coming to terms with her powers her responsibility and so forth and when she takes that on and when she when she truly embraces her mantle um it's really a powerful moment between her and her her uh again her sister her sister warrior nuns and it really hopefully netflix will have a second season because i i foresee some great things from this character moving forward Mo, thank you for calling Dan out, because for a moment I thought that the category had been retitled the Buffy Summers Cameo of the Year Award, based on Dan's description. Uh, Mel? Uh, I have Stargirl, Little Miss Courtney. For me, she really 
did the thing this year, you know? She's young. We know she's young. But, hey, she had a mission. She was going to go. She was going to fight the ISA. She had to gather her crew together, even though she had to take a few of the costumes. But that's okay, because she did it for all the right reasons. And I thought she's a strong little actress. Um, she does a great job. So Little Miss Stargirl in her red, white, and blue, and her staff is going to come kick your butt. Mel? You know who a star girl reminds me of in season one? Mm, who? Sabrina. <laughs> so you know that you're only three seasons away from her going to hell for some dick. Nah, nah. <laughs> She's not going to hell. You know why? Because Pat would slap her little ass right on back to earth. <laughs> um, mine is also star girl from the CW. It was when I when I remember Buffy back in the day and how her story evolved taking on this challenge this role this responsibility she had a wonderful arc and so did Stargirl in season one it was it was just pure joy to watch I loved every element of it this was a show that killed off people early on that I was not expecting. I can appreciate a show that if you have a character that at the outset seems like, okay, this is someone who's going to have, I mean, this is a teen soap or a teen superhero show. It would stand to reason that you're going to have some villainous teens and they go and kill off one of the teens. that's the child of the villain and had villainy potential themselves. Okay. That's taking that's that is making some choices about the direction of your show that has me intrigued. The family dynamic. I love the family dynamic. I think that Luke Wilson at Pat as Pat Dugan was just. His I'm not a big fan of Luke Wilson in general, but this was the perfect role for him. And it as the like stepfather who is sort of frustrated, but it still loves his stepdaughter. It was perfect. The, everything about this show worked. Stargirl, definitely, for me, the Buffy Summers Hero of the Year. Okay, now we get to talk about some villains. The, the Joffrey Bar- Baratheon Villain of the Year Award goes to Mo. For me, I have a tie. It is Stormfront, played by I Cash, and Homelander, played by Anthony Starr on Amazon's The Boys. I mean, this is a gruesome twosome of villainy. You have Stormfront, who is a literal Nazi, with who goes around just electrocuting those who she who who gets gets in her way. She is this master of social media. She uses memes. And, and and social media posts in order to instigate riots and killings and so forth. And Homelander, I mean, th- on the boys, he he is supposed to embody Superman, but an evil, twisted Superman. I mean, Homelander will rip your limbs off. He will burn you with his heat vision. He will manipulate you emotionally by uh, raping your wife and. He, he is just brutal. And the two of them together was a force to be reckoned with on this show. And and what Homelander did, was, which was really nasty, is, is that he 
outed one of his teammates on the seven as as being a lesbian on national television and then threatened that teammate that if she stepped out of line, she would kill kill her partner. Dan? For me, it's uh, Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon uh, on Mandalorian. He is so menacing and so calculated, and he has plans in place. And I I really have appreciated his character since introducing him uh, last season and kind of going through the steps of the finale where he, even though he knows he's losing this battle, he has everything in place where uh, the man... Mando takes over as the leader of Mandalore by winning over the Darksaber in battle, thus breaking up the entire plan of Bukhartan and just setting the entire hero dynamic and splitting it in half. It just, it was wonderful to watch. I thought he was really, really good. I hope he returns for season three. Um, so yeah. Uh, Moff Gideon. Mel? Well, mine is a character that Mo previously mentioned. And it can, it has to be Niles Calder from Doom Patrol. I really feel like this is a situation of, you know, those memes you see where it's like the villain and the actual villain. The show makes you want to believe that, you know, maybe one of Jane's many personalities is the villain. Or Mr. Nobody's really the villain. No, the actual villain is Niles because he manipulates every situation there is on that show. He controls them. They trust him, which is the the villainous part, is because he makes those people trust him. And then all along, he's going to betray them. He knows it. He knows he's going to betray them. I'm just saying that is some cold, calculated things going on with that character that I was called there. So for me, he is the actual villain. Mine, <clears throat> mine is mother from raised by wolves. Um, she starts the show out. Like, let me back up. She starts as this w- robot AI that humans are scared of because they're so immensely powerful. And we see that in flashbacks as to what her model can do. But when we're introduced to her as a character, we're introduced to her as a mother of who is trying to restart civil human civilization on another planet. And so you're, you get this element of this artificial intelligence trying to be a mother and have these and raise these children. At the same time, she's limited by the fact that she is an artificial intelligence from an emotional standpoint. So sometimes you will see her doing things that she needs to do for the emotions of her children, but she's not actually doing them because she feels like it. So on that level, it's you almost have empathy for her, but as the season progresses, she becomes obsessed, and then she actually like you start to see how devastating in the present she can still be as this killer robot artificial intelligence with her eyes and the fact that she has. One pair of eyes for when she's a good robot and another pair of eyes when she can wipe out entire armies. It was a 
fascinating journey following that character. I almost thought of her not necessarily as a pure villain, but more as an anti-hero. But there were some things in there that I was like, okay, she can still qualify as an as a villain. So for me, because of the nuance, because of the, it always left me wondering like, will she actually do what's right or will she just follow her her programming instincts, quote unquote, because obviously programming doesn't have instincts, but it was a fascinating, it was a fascinating journey to follow her. And she like, she had no problem killing the children's father. And she ended up bringing him back. But I mean, yeah, she had no, like she had no compunction with trying to get rid of him. It was very interesting. I ship them. I really ship them. Mel. Um, I have Grace and Anissa from Black Lightning. I really feel like this past season, their relationship really started to blossom into something beautiful because when you are willing to absolutely a thousand percent go up for that person, you know, use all of your power, shape shift, save them from anything you have to do and not think about yourself putting them first, that is a shift I like to see. So um, they were really enjoyable. I like that they're, you know, living together. It's coming along nicely. Dan? So for me, um, I I know I I talked about it during uh, a previous podcast, but damn it, I really like Constantine and Zari. I don't know what it is. I think it's just the wackiness of like new Zari and her social media like influencer personality meets like the the keeper of the dark arts. It just it's such like an oddball pairing, but they have such amazing chemistry and they're just fun and willing to go there and teach each other things and trust one another. I just, I, I like the two of them together. I I can't explain it. I really can't. I w if, if we had a character, uh, a category for most improved character instead of most improved show, I think that what they did with Zari was well done. And for a show that we don't like, I don't necessarily give a lot of, like credit to because of Gary and Ava, what they did with Zari was, was a great thing this past season. Mo. I agree. For me, I, I ship, uh, Rael Collier and Celia Ramshorn from motherland Fort Salem. I think it's a Good classic storyline with them. It's, you know, Celia, you know, meets Rael, but truly, you know, Celia, uh, Celia, was there to kind of twist Rael and bring her over to the dark side and sparks fly between the two of them and they get together. And I absolutely love those scenes in which they're flying together and so forth. And it's really cute and really romantic. But then, you know, as, as the season progresses and Celia's, you know, gets more new orders from her handlers and things just break them apart. But at the same time, you know, Celia and Rael can't get each other out of their system. 
and yet in the in the show ends the season ends with you know Celia, you know, clearly on the outs from Rael, but you know it's only a matter of time before they get back together. They are the couple that you want to root for, especially in that show. It, it just, it's just a, such a a, a a wonderful relationship just to watch blossom and just go on its its journey. Mine is the couple that M- Mel shredded earlier. Sabrina went to hell and back for him. Sabrina and Nicholas. And he didn't deserve it. Okay. I, I love them too, partly because I think that those two as a couple work so much better than, how do I put this? On Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Harvey was this character that Sabrina liked and they were sort of it was, it was always sort of destined for each other so i was happy when with chilling adventures of sabrina when it premiered you knew that harvey and sabrina like they had a connection as friends but the show quickly abandoned them as a couple and so when nicholas came along it just sort of fit it ex- and maybe the way i would put it is not necessarily a um, as a Nate and Serena on Gossip Girl, but maybe more as a Chuck and Blair on Gossip Girl. They just sort of work that way for me. So they are my uh, best couple of the year. Kick that ass. Mo, best fight scene. For me, it's uh, Black Lightning. It's the... Uh season finale in which the team invades Markovia in order to take on Gravedigger in order to save Lynn. I think it does a really good job of highlighting each members of Black Lightning's squad to show their different abilities. I love the ultimate uh, confrontation between uh, Jefferson and Gravedigger, you know, the jabs, you know, the reveal about their familiar history. I, I love how Lynn takes on agency in order to help save herself. I think that just in terms of the stunt coordination and everything, it it was for the how chaotic it was, just all the back and forth and the fighting and so forth, you could very easily see and track the different characters. And I think that show has always done a really good job of, of uh, with its fight scenes. Dan? Uh, for me, it's a fight that I, I've talked about previously on a podcast, so I'm not going to uh, blabber the point. But uh, holy cow, an amazing fight scene on Westworld between Dolores and Maeve. Um, they were at a like a secret facility uh, in Mexico. Um, Maeve was on the attack. Uh, limbs are coming off. Dolores, I mean, shotgun. I could not get enough of the way the fight was choreographed, the cinematography involved fight scene, how it highlighted the humanity uh, that has been imbued into these two characters that are robots, but are have such complex emotional backgrounds and just a a complex emotional relationship with one another uh, just from an ideological standpoint. Um, It, I, I couldn't get enough of it, and I highly recommend that everyone check out Westworld Season 3. Mel? Um, I have 
the spree attacking the wedding during Motherland Fort Salem. Y'all, the scene, you know, the wedding, We ex- they explain how everything goes, and then all of a sudden, after everything's done and people are relaxing, you see these blue balloons everywhere. And it's like, hmm, balloons, what's going on? And then all hell breaks loose. The spree is coming, y'all. They are coming. Our Everyone is fighting in the scene, even our older generals and ladies because everyone was there so it was all of our witches and they are getting their asses kicked and I love the way that they choreographed everything they're running through the rooms you also see them finally really use their powers of you know through sound and I always thought that was so ingenious it was a different take of how we are actually battling people you know we actually fight them but we also try to use our powers and they actually rendered them useless so I felt that that made it a whole different dynamic but I love the way that whole scene was done and it's probably the scene that made me put this show on my DVR of okay that's it I'm all the way in so it was great what's so fascinating about Motherland Fort Salem is how they used such simple things for such unsettling outcomes Mm -hmm. the balloons the applauding by stomping your feet is still like I still find that unsettling it just feels weird to watch it but it works for that show they they took a lot of creative risks and they paid off um kick that ass my best fight scene was from us with um Asako versus Morgan Elsbeth on the Mandalorian it was so great to see Rosario Dawson as Asako and to have that fight take place. And then outside the Mandalorian and the other guy are just out there and the other guy's like, so how's this going to go? And they have this conversation as the fight between the Jedi and her, her enemy are taking place inside the courtyard. I loved it. I thought it was very well executed. It had both humor and action and intensity, and it was great. Best scene where... Oh, but I uh, before we move on to best scene, I do want to give an honorable mention because even though it took place in 2019, I didn't watch it until 2020. So I want to give a shout out to Cobra Kai season two uh, finale because the fight scene in that series at the end of season two goes on and it like, it was like the teen high school equivalent of daredevil in the hallway fighting out or like fighting his way out. It was phenomenal. It was well choreographed and the outcome was shocking. So even though it was 2019, I didn't watch it. We make the rules up. Well, well, but you asked me to combine categories so he wouldn't have as many Mel, and I distinctly add three categories. I distinctly (laughs) remember us at one time having a category about the one that we've caught up on, or maybe that was the end of season show, um, or this the season show. You asked so many, you don't even know where. No, this is this is not an added category. This is an honorable mention. Best scene where someone's ass wasn't whooped. I think I'm on Dan. Dan. Uh, Baby Yoda's goodbye. The the Luke Skywalker, he wants your permission. I He removes the helmet. I'm just like, oh, oh who's cutting onions? This, I'm balling. Um, it was just so powerful and just 
encapsulated so much history between Baby Yoda and Mando. And notice how I haven't called him Grogu or Din. Uh, it'll always just be Baby Yoda and Mando. Like that—that that was the dad and son show that we didn't know that we needed, but we're so thankful to have. And it sort of felt like a, a proper goodbye to the character of baby Yoda. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what t- direction the show goes in moving forward. But for now we, we got that goodbye and it was, it was a great scene. Yeah. Sometime on another podcast, we may have to discuss what our um, theories or concerns are about where it goes if Baby Yoda is not a regular in the upcoming seasons. Mel, best well, scene where someone's ass wasn't whooped. Mine is also from The Mandalorian, and I have a tie. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> Makes things up as she goes along. Yes, I do. Um, so I actually had um, Ahsoka Tano when she is connecting with Baby Yoda. Because I felt like Aww. that was so important to the plot, to character development. And it also really lets us know, because when we first see Ahsoka, she's kicking butt. That's all she's doing. You know what I mean? So now you kind of see the softer side of her. Um, I really love the way that that whole scene was done. My second one is also from Mandalorian. When Luke Skywalker walks through the door and our heroes are there with Moth Gideon. And he's saying he's taking baby Yoda. Oh, y'all, y'all, all the feels, okay? You got Mando with tears in his eyes. Everyone else is almost crying. At this point, I'm sobbing, okay? I'm just crying everywhere. I'm a mess, but it was great. I also thought they did a really great job creating young Mark Hamill again. Um, I actually didn't have a problem with any of that. So, yes, Skywalker, Baby Yoda. He took off his helmet for Baby Yoda so that Baby Yoda could see his face. He touched when Baby Yoda touches his face. I was like, somebody hit pause. I can't do this. This is too much for my life. Mo, who did you have? Actually, I also have a tie as well. Uh One, one is from the beginning of the year, and that was Oliver Queen's funeral. I mean. That was just a moving scene of just all the various Arrowverse characters coming together, some returns from the dead, just honoring Oliver at the same time, expressing their grief. It was just moving because it truly was the end of an era for the Arrowverse, and it's going to be something totally different moving forward. The second... uh, My second pick comes from Lovecraft Country, episode five. It's the first time in which Ruby Baptiste just sloughs her skin away and take, you know, after she's taken the form of white one. I just how, because, you know, it, it, it deconstructs, you know, a very real myth about, you know, people of color, you know, you know, how would it be like for a person of color to walk in the majority shoes? Very interesting, you know, visualization. Um, it, it just really stayed with you. Just very haunting because, you know, how just that skin just sloth away from you. So those are my two uh, best scenes in which someone was asked was not kicked. 
My, I have a tie as well. Um, the first came early in the year, and for a moment, I thought that Mo was going to pick it, but he failed me. Captain Jack's surprise return, my all-time favorite Doctor Who Universe character, made a surprise appearance. It had not been spoiled anywhere, and he showed up in the Fugitive of Jadoon episode, and I screamed. It was amazing. I And he came back for the Christmas special, too. I'm so happy. The other one was poignant, and I think that and it comes from Star Trek Discovery. Something about Star Trek Discovery this year with Michael's journey into the future, the period that she spent alone, and then Discovery's dealing with this new universe in which <clears throat> um, the Federation is on its heels, partially broken. A massive portion of it was wiped out. The story in the first episode, it premiered with a story about her trying to find in in the future the remnants of the Federation. But the episode opened with this man getting up out of bed, going through the motions of activating the beacon for the Federation and taking the responsibility for it every single day all by himself. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? And by the end of the episode, you find out that he was basically the only person on the station. He was never actually someone who had been made an officer. His parents had been the officer and he continued his father's work as the only person remaining there day in day out waiting for the Federation to return. And even as I'm talking about it now, I have chills because I don't know for me if it was the fact that, during COVID, it, especially in the spring when the lockdowns were going on, when everything was happening, when you couldn't be around people and you felt like you were so isolated, when that when the season premiered and that t- storyline was part of the element, for me, it packed an emotional punch because everything that he went through felt like the period during lockdown in the for like the 60 days where I wasn't want, like Arizona had the loosest rules of pretty much anywhere except for maybe Florida. But f- for my own personal choices, I was not doing anything. We were not going anywhere. You were not like doing anything. And it like I connected to his loneliness, his you have to still keep going, his I need to be responsible and it just packed an emotional punch for me that I was not expecting. I was not expecting after the season two finale of Discovery last year. I was not expecting to watch the premiere of season three and be sideswiped by this massive emotional punch that just seemed to connect with everything that I had experienced earlier in the year in terms of loneliness during the, the lockdown portions of the pandemic. And so I was very surprised, but I had to get, do it as a tie because the year started off with so much promise with Captain Jack. 
And by the time I got to the season premiere of Discovery, it was a whole different emotional experience for me. Best miniseries, animated series, or TV special? TV slash streaming special. Mo. So actually, I have winners from all three categories. For best miniseries, it is HBO's The Undoing. I'll tell you, week after week of just watching Nicole Kidman just walk the streets of New York City in the middle of the night, you just wonder, why is this woman walking around? Meanwhile, her husband, played by Hugh Grant, is hunching somebody, got this other woman pregnant. Did he kill her? You don't know. I mean, all these theories just bouncing around your head. I'll be honest with you. What I enjoyed about The Undoing is it's not necessarily... The characters themselves, it's just that it was essentially these stars playing in a, you know, heightened soap opera, you know, with all these, the, the trappings of glamour and so forth. But it was just the mood that it set. And it was just just so intriguing that you wanted to know what was going to happen next. And so that just captured me uh, week after week. Um, best animated series, it's it's Harley Quinn on DC Universe and HBO Max. I think Kaylee Cuoco, who voiced Harley Quinn, did an amazing job. I think the Harley Poison Ivy relationship and arc over the course of those two seasons was just fascinating to behold. I love this world in which Batman was kind of an asshole, Commissioner Gordon was a drunk, you know, and Harley just spent so much of her time just trying to get away from the influence of the Joker, but at the up at the same end, she wanted to top the Joker. And in terms of TV special, I'm gonna slide in a movie on Netflix, and that's the old guard. It's the adaptation of a comic book series written by Greg Rucka about these immortal warriors. I thought it, uh Charlie Theron did amazing job playing Andy. I really enjoyed this uh, this movie, I, and if and hopefully I'm I'm looking forward to perhaps this will be a franchise. I think Netflix wants it to be a franchise, so hopefully we'll get more of the old guard in the future. They definitely set it up for one, but I well, I was going to say oh, go go ahead, Luke. no go ahead because I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Well, well, the thing is, I mean, they have more material. There is a second Old Guard comic series. The the, the movie was uh, an adaptation, and it more or less, I would say, probably like seventy five percent of it came from the comic. Um, there is a second Old uh, Old Guard comic series that they could use as the basis of any sort of sequel. I I think that it's it's ripe for being a sequel. It's a perfect Netflix um, vehicle. I watched it. It was enjoyable. Uh, for me personally, I wouldn't say it was like Wonder Woman. It was fun, but it wasn't good, if that makes sense. Um, and watching it, I kept I kept flashing back to a movie that I really love, which is and I know that most people don't, which was Dracula Untold. When that ends and it's in the future and you see his creator, the person who is Dracula, like who was the vampire prior to him sitting out in the street and he's still alive. And then you have Dracula that, uh, out uh, like seeing a, a woman who looks like his former wife. I was like, 
this is just a continue like the old guard is just a continuation of Dracula untold except for they're using guns because that was the one weak part about it I thought that like them setting up the mythology there wasn't enough world building for me but that's I feel like they if they would have if they wouldn't have gone into straight just it being an action with like barely touching on the world building that actually gets these people to being immortal. I probably would have enjoyed it more. Well, I was going to say again, the, the comic material, they really don't touch upon how they become immortal. It's just, it's boom. You are and suddenly you wake up, you're immortal one day and there's some sort of ticking clock, maybe. And like, like and that can work in a cop that can work in a comic, but on a TV show or movie, like, are you just, did we ever get in in Highlander? Well, I wasn't a big fan of Highlander. I mean, I've watched some of it, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's just I, from my standpoint, I feel like they could have done a little bit more world building and actually made it a stronger show in doing so. Um, okay, so Mo ignored the or and decided to do an and for best miniseries, animated series, or TV special. Dan, did you ignore the or too? I did not. I included the or and I went with a show that has been long standing in terms of me just enjoying it over the years. I took a little bit of a break, but I am back loving the show and it is Archer. I this was such a good show. He so to back it up, they're on season 11 of Archer. Uh, at the end of season eight, he gets shot. Uh, kicked into a pool and the seasons in between eight and 11 are all coma seasons where every season is a new theme or with all new characters based on the characters that had already existed. So the same voice actors, same outer skins, but like a different take on it. So like one is in space, one is adventure Island. One is a noir. Um, so, but they are finally back to the main series and it was so good. And there were so many emotional consequences of a three-year coma and just all of these relationships and everything was back to the way it, not quite back to the way it was, but just the dynamics are so similar enough that I, I, couldn't help but love it love these characters i had so many laughs it is back to being enjoyable and i'm going to be talking about this show in several other categories so stay tuned it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's my pick for the next category not this one uh mel um for me as a card carrying 90s kid it couldn't be anything other than the animaniacs on hulu um animaniacs made its return after about 20 years or so off the air and for me they really picked up right where they left off yakko wacko and dot the warner brothers and sister are up to their same shenanigans coming for everyone i think as an adult i definitely understand the jokes more so it was fun <laughs> they, they brought back Didn't quite get them when you were younger huh yeah you know it was fun to see them do all these crazy things but now you know as an adult you're watching things and you're like oh 
I see what you're doing here, Animaniacs. <laughs> and it's great. It's great to see. And, you know, you get that nostalgia and you also get that bit of, I like what y'all are doing here. They also brought back Pinky and the Brain. My favorite. I, I love Pinky and the Brain. love Pinky as a brain as a child. And I still do now that I'm in my 30s. Absolutely fantastic. They brought back a few other characters as well from the old show. But it was great. To see all of the characters back, I feel like the writing was really strong. It's also coming back for another season, which makes me even happier. But great job on Animaniacs. So I enjoyed Animaniacs. I love Pinky and the Brain being back. But I really need these streaming services that do not include the feature to skip the intro to allow me to skip the intro. I have not finished the Animaniacs because I'm so sick of hearing that song and I just want to skip it at the yeah. beginning every I'm single time. Every single time because it's one of my favorites. <laughs> like I just but but the I've found that there's a couple other there's a couple other ones where you can't skip like there's a couple other streaming apps where you can't skip the intro whatever the intro is. I love that Netflix and I think think it's hbo max or maybe it's hbo max it doesn't but i know netflix is it gives you the option do you want to watch the previously on and the intro or do you want to skip it and any any uh, animaniacs definitely needs the skip it option because that song will drive me nuts my best miniseries animated series or tv special is the queen's gambit on netflix what is geekier than high-stakes chess? Phenomenal. Queen's Gambit is amazing. I had no clue what uh, like I had no clue what the premise was other than what I'd heard. I'd heard a lot of people like I'd seen stuff about wow, Queen's Gambit is really good. I'm like, am I really I've never played chess, so I don't know the first thing about it, but then so I was like, am I really going to enjoy this? It was fantastic. The acting was superb. The drama was superb. The stakes were superb. She, as a an independent adult, is a sort of a fuck up because of everything that she's went through after her mother basically committed suicide and then by car and then she ended up growing up in a girl's home and becomes addicted to pills. I mean... It was phenomenal. I, If you have not watched it, I highly recommend you do so. Next up, and since I've already alluded to it, I will start this one. It gets better with age. The most improved show. Mine is Archer on FX. The reason why I chose this, as Dan already mentioned, Archer has been in a coma the last couple seasons, which has provided a variety of creative outlets for the the creators, the writers, and the cast. But as far as continuity and necessarily having the same feel as Archer of old, it never quite felt the same. Archer waking up from his coma to a world in which the agency is actually well run and efficient and profitable and they have everything going well and Archer wakes up and he's like, what the fuck is going on? None of this makes sense. And suddenly the chaos that Archer surrounds himself or generates is back. 
And as strongly as the other characters do not want to be sucked back into Orchard's or Orchard's into Archer's maelstrom of chaos, they can't help it because even though they're like, they sort of wish he was gone. They're happy. He's back. It was so good to have Archer back this way. And I, I was like the, the last couple seasons, they were good, but this was definitely an improvement. So for me, most improved show Archer, uh, Dan, I, I second that. And I, you know, my, my pick is Archer and I want to highlight a specific episode during the season that really encapsulates how much the show has improved. The second to last episode of the season, when AJ gets kidnapped, it is the first mission the spy agency has been on in 11 years that actually matters. It, it has like these giant consequences for these characters that you have spent so much time with. And Archer looks at all of them and says, I need you to be the best versions of yourselves and not screw this up. And for everything we've had to go through with, you know, the coma seasons and even the character growth with Pam and Cheryl and Krieger and Ray and Cyril and even Lana, Oh my gosh, the things Lana has had to go through during the course of the season, the emotional upheaval of ostensibly one of the loves of her life, waking up from a coma, the father of her child, and just having to deal with that while juxtaposed to her new marriage to this new guy, Robert. It's just a wealthy billionaire type who seems like he should be more like destined for Mallory. Yes! It's wild that, like, the guy who has more in common with Mallory is married to Lana, of all people. Oh, my gosh. The only thing that I can think about that is I think she married him so that the child would have a safety net if something happened. Yeah, yeah. I I also think that, like, and I hope they explore this a little bit further with all of the dynamics because it does seem like Robert's going to be sticking around. I do hope that they explore Lana's sense of grief over Archer's coma and how that sort of led her to something safe. Like you're like you were saying, um, I, I just I'd love to see more of that. And I feel like we're going to because the way they were hinting at, uh, you know, Robert's role as AJ's quote unquote father in her life. Basically, you know, Archer got into a coma when she was a toddler. So now that she's like eight or nine years old, this is the only dad she's actually known known. Um, So having all of those dynamics set up for next season and knowing that it's already been renewed for the next two years, I'm all in. I'm so in as long as they keep them out of a coma, keep like, keep the main continuity going because this is so much fun. Mel, have you ever watched Archer? Negative. You should give it a try. You might like it. Uh, I I struggle. What gets better? Excuse me. What gets better with age for you? The voice on Amazon. Um, I thought season one was good, but season two, 
I really feel like they took it there. There were actual Nazis on this season, okay? Um, the Boys is always outlandish. It is hysterical. I love the seven. I love the boys. And it was an all-out battle to the end in season two. And I feel like they're kind of not necessarily in the same place, but both sides had casualties. So where do we go from here? Mo? So, uh, you know, the boys gets an honorable mention for me. uh, But I had to pick the Umbrella Academy from Netflix. I thought that its second season was a bit more focused than the the first season. I think part of that is due to they've uh, trimmed down the minutes of an episode. The first season, the episodes were approaching an hour or a little over an hour from in most cases. I think it wasn't necessarily needed. We a lot of the episodes in season two of uh, the Umbrella Academy were about somewhere between forty five and fifty minutes. I thought that they they did a great job of not slavishly adapting the uh, Dallas story arc from the comic book. It was a, it was much more loose lo- loosely based. It enabled the, the the various siblings to have their own story arcs, develop them as as characters, develop them as characters. I think that the audience could root or root for in most cases. Um, and then while they tried to tackle uh, civil rights, I think they did a good job. I mean, it's kind of tricky when you have a time travel show to kind of, you know, really make changes to something as complicated as, as civil rights. But I do appreciate the show trying to tackle tackle the issue. And I look forward to, to season three. Best new show of 2020 Dan uh for me it was Marvel 616 or 616 depending I I haven't heard people talk about it uh, a ton but it has given uh Marvel and Disney the ability to tell documentary style stories regarding uh the comics the culture uh just niche properties that they have with it under their umbrella and really go in depth in, in a similar fashion to the way that like ESPN does with 30 for thirties and stuff like that. Uh, the first episode was about something that I've really always really cared about, which is the Japanese Spider-Man from 1978 um, and the intricacies of making that show and the cultural uh, nuances and stuff like that. Uh, They have episodes about uh, diversity in comics, uh, geek culture, uh, Comic-Cons and cosplay culture. Um, It's just a really cool uh, platform and show that I hope uh, Disney Plus sort of runs with. Mel? Uh, For me, it has to be Lovecraft Country. What a just all-around phenomenal show. You know, it is set back um, somewhere around the 50s, 60s, somewhere around there, but it is great. I love the costuming. I love the story that they told. You know, they had a guide. It was based on the book. Um... But I still love that there were all of these creatures. There are literal 
<laughs> wizards, I kind of call them, you know, and witches. And it, you never really know what's coming. And for me, if a show can have me guessing on what's happening and not predict what happen, what happens as we can do because we watch a lot of television, it has my interest. I felt the cast was really strong. I just, mm, that show, it, it is culturally appropriate. It really makes you think. You can tie it to modern times. I just thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Mo? So I have a tie. A tie? <laughs> yes. So let me explain how I have a tie. So best new show has an S added. Ties. Yes, shows. Okay. Shows. Okay. So in the pre-COVID times, I would say it was Star Trek Picard because it was about the discovery. It was about John Luke coming back. It was about these things, you know, the next generation characters, uh, actors like Brett Spiner. Uh, you've got coming back as, as Data. You had Troy. Uh, you had Riker. You had Seven of Nine. I mean, it was just all these things that I grew up on, just enjoying. We got this new iteration of it. We had a flawed Picard, which was perfectly fine, but it was he was on some Don Quixote quest. And 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 I love how the season ended. Look forward to when we can safely have more episodes of, of uh, Star Trek Picard because I don't want um, my man's health to be put at risk trying to fail these episodes because that man is like you know eighty some years old. At the height of COVID in the summer, when I was missing Comic-Con, being able to enjoy the fruits of, of, of geekdom, you know, Stargirl was the show for me. It was that bright light. It was the, the, the true uh, amalgamation, the coming together of so many things in comics. I am a huge Justice Society of America fan. I have loved those, those comics written by Jeff Johns for decades. And just to see an interpretation of those characters on screen to see Stargirl wielding that cosmic staff, I ate that show up. And at the and as the end of the year progressed, and as you know, politics became the more dominant theme, the, the show that really rallied me, the show that I felt was much more timely and connected with me was Lovecraft Country. As, as Mel said, it was a show, even though it was set in the past, it spoke to the to the needs. And to the feelings of today, I felt that how it tackled issues by including the magic and the witchcraft and so forth, mixing it with race issues, it, it just was phenomenal. You didn't know what was going to happen next. I'll be honest with you, I did not expect Tick to die. Um, it was just a visually, it was just a smorgasbord, this treat. Um the episode with Hippo uh, Hippolyta when she went uh, she went to the parallel worlds was just just stunning to look like beautiful to look at. So yes, those those are why I chose those three shows as my best shows of 2020. Uh, my best new shows, excuse me, of 2020. My best new show. This is sort. This is going to sound odd because when we recorded the best and worst of the 2019-2020 TV season, I distinctly remember. Well, let me back up. 
I'm pretty sure, because I didn't go back and listen, so someone can correct me if they want, but I think that I put Motherland Fort Salem as the best new show. The podcast ended, and I realized that I had not included Star Trek Picard anywhere on my list, and I was like, well, fuck. I'm going to have to um, remedy that at the end of the year. So my best new show of the season was Star Trek Picard. I I know this is controversial um, for a variety of Star Trek fans. I have seen complaints about the first three episodes basically feeling like a movie. I have felt I've heard complaints from people or read complaints from people about the structure of it. I loved it. I thought that the return was fantastic they incor- they gave me the nostalgia elements that i wanted they told this logan type story where it's basically him at first on his own trying to save a girl or to get to the secret about the girl and he ends up getting his team as he goes along the way it was really well done and i think as mo said they that it can come back whenever it is safe so that we do not have to worry about Patrick Stewart's health in any way shape or form I am willing to give it as much time as it needs for COVID to be to be resolved so that Patrick Stewart's health is not endangered but it was phenomenal cancel it already the worst show of the year Mo. So I'm going to do a twist. It's not the show that, Luke, you probably thought I would pick. It's actually a show that's already ended. It's Dracula, which was a BBC uh, Netflix co-production. I consider it the worst show because of the pedigree behind it. We had Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, who worked on Doctor Who, who worked on Sherlock. And it was... The way Dracula ended was a sad state of affairs. The, it was so it just literally blew away all that potential, all that buildup over the course of those three, uh, three, and they were feature length episodes. It, it was just really, really disappointing for me. Dan, uh, for me, it is a show that is being canceled. It is Supergirl. Uh. There's not a, a ton to say. It was a bad year for Supergirl. It was like, it was really yes, bad. COVID and the way everything sort of had to wrap up is discouraging from a narrative standpoint. But there were so many just character problems. Alex just kept angsting. Uh, Jean Jones continued to be misused. Um, there, there was William who was just kind of there. As Mo already uh, discussed, I uh, just I'm it's a shame because this show had so much promise and is just it. I hope it goes out on a much stronger note because last season was just terrible. Mel. Um, <laughs> I think I had this show last year, too. Uh, it's manifest on NBC. I I think I'm almost hate watching the show at this point because it is absolutely ridiculous. I I just Michaela's character has now married a character who I'm pretty sure died and came back from the dead. Um 
and it's the total wrong character. Uh, we've actually had a few returns from the dead this season that don't make any sense at all, none whatsoever. And I think I just want to see how it ends at this point. I don't see it going very long because of COVID, of course, and it's NBC, and NBC tends not to give its shows enough of a chance. So um, I, I, I'm i looking forward to end soon, but I, I, the only reason I think I'm watching is because I have to see what happens? I, I have to know what the hell happened to the plane. But it, it needs to go. It's done. My worst show of the year is one that has already been canceled. I thought that Mo would pick it, but he didn't. Vagrant Queen on sci-fi. I am quickly learning that any show that tries to purport itself as a feels like, well, even film almost, feels like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's really hard to recreate the magic of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Vagrant Queen certainly did not do that. It was bad. Really, really bad. And I was looking forward to it. See, Luke, I don't... I, see, I, the reason why I didn't choose uh, Vagrant Queen is because we, we'd already kicked that show. You know, I I, I am I, not it, opposed to kicking another a show uh, out on a year end podcast. Well, kick a show it when it's the, down, Luke. It's a year. It's the year end podcast. It even if we kicked it once before at the year end podcast, it could get another kick. <laughs> show of the year, the biggest show, the best show, the one that stood out the most. This should be interesting. I suspect I know who, what two of you might choose. Mel, who do you have? What do you have for a show of the year? The Mandalorian. If there's any show that did not have a sophomore slump, it is The Mandalorian. You know, I feel like we all enjoyed season one, but season two was definitely a different feel because, you know, we already know our characters. We know their personalities, where they're going. But in this one, they had so many just gems, I feel like, over the seasons of, you know, the special guest stars. Um, I feel that introducing other Mandalorians was a great move because you can't just have Mando fighting all the random creatures of the galaxy. And we know there are no more Mandalorians. So I thought that was really smart on their part. They also focused more on the care on the show's breakout character, who is baby Yoda and gave him a name, gave him more of a background where he comes from. He's also possibly, you know, at the end of the season is leaving now. So that is definitely going to take the show in different direction. I love that they are definitely incorporating more of star Wars lore. You know, we're getting those characters and those scenes from movies, from TV specials, from the animated series. And that's all culminating in the Mandalorian. And it is an amazing thing to watch. And I feel like, so I always use my dad as the standard because, you know, he grew up with everything and he went to go see Star Wars in the theater six times, you know, that was him. So if it's a show where he enjoys it and he's calling me and he's saying, this was so great, that was so awesome, I'm like, then nothing can top this. So you, you are impressing what in my eyes is the, the go-to here. So... And it's a good way, I think, too, to really unite people of 
different generations and introduce the young ones to it and you get a little bit of everything and any show that can do that is amazing so the mandalorian dan uh for me it it's a show that we've we've talked about a a a little bit on this uh pod already but it's archer I went back and I watched all of the series after after the season 11 had finished. It it hit during just the right time when you need those laughs, you need that humor, you know. COVID COVID sucks. Like the whole like pandemic and the isolation and the quarantining, all of that stuff sucks. So I need my laughs. I need my intricate relationships and my nuances and my running bits that they continue to do on that show. And for me, Archer provides all of that. So I, I have to give best show of the year to Archer. My all time favorite episode of Archer is the one with cocaine Pam. Yes. All time favorite Archer episode. Mo. Well, okay. I got another tie. I'm probably going to be taking it. <laughs> it's like, I'm just oh, saying, boy. are you trying to come for Luke's crown right now? Are you coming for his tie crown? Yeah, I was going to say. I, I let you get away bucks. with it because you had a very good rationale for your best new show to not only have a tie, but a three-way tie. But you really shouldn't be coming for me on show of the year. <laughs> this is my territory, and I feel like I now need to defend it. Uh-oh. Well, my shows of the year, and it's, again, because of the way my brain operates. Um, I am a huge Anglophile. I have loved British television for many years. And so I had to pick The Crown. As one of the Netflix. How is the, the Crown Geek? I'm an Anglophile. <laughs> it is. It's not, not, there's no, there's no connection to geek long. whatsoever in the Crown. Even by me stretching for the. Hold on. Even by me stretching with like. It, it was, it's significantly less of a stretch with the Queen's Gamut because chess is geeky. But like. There's nothing superhero. There's nothing sci-fi. There's nothing magical. There's nothing nerdy. There's nothing scientific. I mean, what, 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 like I'm an Anglophile too. I love absolutely fabulous, and I love uncountless uh, uh, numbers of other shows. But I'm not coming on here and picking a British comedy for my best show of the year on a geek podcast. Hold on now, Luke. It's a. It's not a comedy. It is, I'm it, making it, the point that it has <laughs> nothing to do with geek. I let you get away with Killing Eve last time, uh -oh. but this is just too much. Coming on this show and picking non-geek shows for show of the year. No, nope, nope, nope. You cannot do that. Well, can I, can I defend? Can I defend? No, my you cannot defend it. Pick a different one. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about my I pick a different one? Voice, y'all. Here we go. 
Luke, I had the Mandalorian as my other one I made. <laughs> that is totally fine, but you do not get to pick the crown as the best show of the year on the podcast. That is like Dan when he has picked some things that have nothing to do with geek and I give him side eye across the podcast, but it's not show of the year. I'm not going to let you pick show of the year as a non-geek show. As someone who has picked stuff in historical context <laughs> and had the rationale, like the rationale being history can be geeky. Yes. I, you know, I, I get picking the crown. Uh, history can be geeky, but this is history that isn't even over. It's currently in the Princess Diana season, which we, Mo and I, have lived through. It's not even history. It is the present in our lives. This You cannot use the crown as your best show of the year on a geek podcast. No. I stirred up the dragon today. Oh, Lord Jesus. I was like, Lord. All right. All right. So, yeah. I mean, I wanted to pick. I I would have loved to have picked Bridgerton. I would have loved to have picked Bridgerton for show of the year. But Bridgerton has nothing to do with geek. Neither does the Crown. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus! All right, so so as I said, um, we will my show of the year. Very so good. Is the Mandalorian. If you would have had it as a tie with the show that I have as show of the year, there would have been no question. Like, ties are okay if you can actually have them be within the realm of our coverage on this podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Luke. We are starting 2021 off right. All right, so so, and let me let me bring myself, let me compose myself. So as as um as most of you all have said already about the Mandalorian, I mean we had, you know, the side the, the the main quest, which was Mando trying to um reunite uh Grogu aka Baby Yoda with uh the Jedi. I loved like how this show pulls in. Star, uh, Star Wars lore from other series such as uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. I'll be honest with you, I'm not very versed in uh, uh, Star, Star, Star Wars Rebels, and it, it, this, the second season of Mandalorian made me want to go back and watch that show to, to pick up on clues on a possible next seasons of the, of the Mandalorian, possible spinoff shows. Um, I loved the look of uh, Ahsoka Tan, I think, you know, it's it's it wasn't perfect, but I thought that uh, Rosario Dawson, you know, in, in terms of just bringing a live action character to life, bringing the character that she voiced um, to live action looked really good. I love the movements, the double sabers. It, it was just, it was everything that you as a geeky Star Wars fan could love, the biggest thing, and I think that that was in the Mandalorian's favor, is is that they didn't drag this out about um, Mando reuniting uh, Baby Yoda with the Jedi. 
it was done at the at the end of the season. So again, as Mel said, it opens new doors and new storyline possibilities. I personally don't think that Disney um, Lucasfilm will allow Baby Yoda to be gone for too long because you know that's just a, a sales revenue generator. I mean, it, it just at some point, I'm not sure if we're going to get a flash uh, time jump or something's going to happen. Um, and I think Grogu will be reunited with Mando at some point in season three. Mo has so discombobulated me, I can't remember if everybody's went. Um, Mel, have you picked yours? Yes, you did. The Mandalorian. Two Mandalorians and Archer. Yes. Okay. My show of the year is one that I actually expected Mo to have when he said he had a tie. Because he and I both love this show, and it bo- and it had a, a fantastic final season and final episode, which is The Magicians. Fillery and Further, as the final episode, say that five times fast, for The Magicians, was the perfect culmination to a show that started out flawed in some respects for me as a viewer in that, like, there were a couple times in the first couple seasons where I had difficulty watching, but the characterizations, the storytelling was so compelling that I kept watching. And it culminated with season five and it uh, words can almost not express what how appreciative I am of the journey that I've had over all five seasons but what they took us on in the fifth season every character got their moment every tendril plot line was not necessarily wrapped up in a bow but it was left in such a way that it made sense for the character, it made sense for the story. I cannot speak highly enough of The Magicians, but if you've never watched it and and you're not someone who is, I, w- I don't want to say the word comfortable, but not someone who normally views some violent, like physical violence and that type of stuff, th- there's some incidents in the, there's some scenes in the first season or two in which, the rapes and the various other things that happen are very difficult to watch. And so if you can get past those and still watch it, this show tells an amazing story. I highly recommend it if you have the opportunity. This leads us to our final two categories of this, of the podcast, female TV entertainer of 2020 and male TV entertainer of 2020. Mel, who do you have for female? I have Miss Journey Smollett from Lovecraft Country, and she did it. She did a film as well. She was uh, Black Canary on Resident Prey, but I know we're not doing film, but I'm just saying. Um, she is fantastic. I loved her portrayal as a Letitia on Lovecraft Country. Not too much, not over the top, just right for that character. And you know, she's. She's been around a long time. She was a child actress. So to see her grow and flourish into this beautiful young woman has been great. And you can tell she's on this trek up, which is wonderful. I hope she sticks with it. She seems to be doing very well in the supernatural and comic book categories. So I hope she stays there. But she really stuck out to me this year. Dan, female entertainer, a TV entertainer of 2020. I picked Aisha Tyler from Archer. 
I keep going on and on about Archer, but like I, like you and I have both said, it is a fantastic. It was a fantastic season, and the character of Lana Kane went through so much emotional upheaval and deal dealt with so much in her personal life and. She's still a badass professionally. She's the best spy in the agency. Um, I just, I couldn't get enough of her portrayal, uh, just the nuances of the character and where she has to go from here. Mo? I promise this is a non-controversial choice. <laughs> so um my female entertainer of the year is Mingna Wen. Um oh, yes. First uh as Melinda May from uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield, which I think had a really strong final season and uh Ming-Na's, um Melinda May has literally carried Agents of Shield at times and at, at certain points in that show's history was one of the main reasons I tu- tuned in to that 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 show. I love the the kind of ending that they've they've given for her. I was afraid at certain points that they were going to kill her off, but you know, May grew as a character. They've uh, made put her in a position where she's able to connect with with p- other other people and to share her knowledge which i think is is really really important and then you know she was she returned as uh Fennec shined on the mandalorian hanging out with her man with her with her boy uh boba fett um saving Mon- uh, mondo helping to rescue baby yoda i think that the uh, I think a lot there's a lot of correlation between the fandom between Agents of Shield and the Mandalorian. So it was very smart of of Disney, Lucasfilm, whomever to put the, this her character Fennec Shan into the Bo- the upcoming Boba Fett spinoff. I think that 2021 will be a breakout year. Again for uh, Ming Na Win uh, with, with the with the Boba Fett series, so I'm yeah. And plus, she also put in an appearance in uh, Mulan, um, and you know she she was a voice actor in the animated version of Mulan. So I think she had a really busy year in 2020. Look forward to seeing her work in 2021. So I sort of have a theme with my TV entertainers for this year. The female entertainer, I have a tie. Um, it's from the hundred. I feel like both of these actresses have put in amazing work over their many seat, their seven seasons, many seasons. I don't remember exactly how many it is. I think it's seven. Um, Eliza Taylor and Marie, and I'm going to get this wrong. So I apologize. Avengeropolis who play Clark and Octavia. They have been the cornerstones of the 100 throughout its entire run. They have been, they had to portray the characters who had to make the most difficult, sometimes cutthroat decisions. Oftentimes they were opposite of each other. Other times they were allies. They put in amazing performances this last year. And yet when we got to the final episode, Clark, who thought that she was going to be all by herself because she wasn't able to evolve like the rest of humanity finds out 
she ends up on this planet. She thinks that she's all alone with the dog. And then the dog runs away because it hears something and she follows it. And on the beach are her friends who have chosen to not ascend and they will live their lives with her because she couldn't go up. She couldn't join them in ascendancy. And Octavia was one of those people who did it. It was a fantastic finale. Eliza Clark and uh, Marie have done fantastic work ever since they started the series from season one they deserve their kudos. So for me, I'm giving them my tie for Female Entertainer of 2020. Dan, male TV entertainer of 2020. Uh, I bet you can guess. You can, like, there's no way I wasn't going to pick, like, I picked Aisha Tyler in the first one. I'm picking H. John Benjamin here. The character of Sterling Archer went through so much emotional upheaval and just went through so much as in in the portrayal that H. John Benjamin continues to do with the character while making it funny, while having to hit serious beats this year, while having to do the highs and lows involved in his relationship with AJ, with Mallory, with Lana. I just, with Cyril, um, I couldn't get enough of the intricacies of the plot and how it still remains funny and witty. And yeah, uh, H. John Benjamin is my pick. Mel. Um, it has to be Mr. Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian himself. So in this season, you actually get to see more of his actual face, which we didn't in the first season. We only saw it once and it was a glimpse. So with him, it's a lot of voice work, but I feel like the inflection that he puts in his voice makes up for the fact that we can't see his face. And that is a testament to his acting. And now in this season, we've gotten to see more of him and see his emotions and his eyes, because I feel like he has very expressive eyes. It just, adds to that character i am the more of pedro i see the more i enjoy he has been absolutely great we know he's had a big year this year you know he did film he did one order in 1984 he's done a couple of others he has more things coming up um i am interested to see more from him because everything i've seen right now has been phenomenal mo so um, my male entertainer of 2020 was Giancarlo Esposito. Yes. Um, you literally could not look anywhere in 2020 without seeing his face in something. Uh, obviously, we've talked about him returning to The Mandalorian as Moff Gideon. He was Edgar Stan, CEO of Vought International on The Boys. He Sorry. voice acted. He portrayed Lex Luthor on the Harley Quinn. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm not a big uh, Better Call Saul fan, but, you know, he, he continued his role as, as Gus uh, Fring on that show. So, I mean, literally, you could not you couldn't turn on a TV or a streaming service without seeing this man uh, pop up some way, shape or form. My picks for male TV entertainers of 2020 is also a tie. But like the female entertainer. You couldn't have one with the other without the other, and the show also ended. 
Jensen Ackles and uh, Jared Padalecki on Supernatural as Dean and Sam. The Supernatural is the show is the last remnants of the WB, which I have so many fond memories of. And I have watched this show from the beginning. It is the unheralded, like in terms of critical acclaim, it's not the one that people talk about, but people have been watching it for dec- for over a decade. Jensen and Jared put in their work every single episode. The dynamic between those two as brothers were f- was flawless. So when we got to the season finale, and for me this hit home also because of COVID and the isolation. Spoilers for those of you have, who haven't watched it. Dean is killed. And when he goes to his version of Hunter Heaven... He ends up basically getting in his car and driving. And he continues to just drive and drive and drive and drive all alone. Meanwhile, his driving is being interspersed between us seeing Sam live the rest of his life with children, grandchildren, aging, and then finally dying. And when... Dean, when Sam died, the car, Dean was driving the car and he comes to the bridge and there's Sam. And it was perfect. And I'm choking up now. But the the emotional impact of what they did was phenomenal. If If you are a lapsed Supernatural viewer, even though I just spoiled it for you, I would highly recommend going back and watching the abbreviated season that aired this year, uh, like this last half of this year, if you're wanting to see the arc that wrapped up a phenomenal show that just kept going. It was the law and order of supernatural sci-fi shows, and it just kept going, and I didn't really actually believe that it was going to end, and it did, and they did it well. Any honorable mentions from the year that you guys want to give a shout out to, um, Mel? Um, I did have uh, Fort Salem as an honorable mention for best show. I really liked the show on ABC that got canceled and that I couldn't fit it in my categories, but it was called Emergence. And it was great. And it's not coming back, but it's a good one and done show if anybody wants to check it out. Dan, um, I mean, a lot of the Arrowverse shows had some honorable mention stuff. Um, the Oliver's um, Oliver's funeral. Uh, there were certain uh, moments there that really just encapsulated uh, just a fantastic show within the last eight years, as Mo talked about during his pick. Um, that that was really the big one for me. Mo, um, one of my honorable mentions is um, the magicians. I, I think that uh, I had some issues with the first half of the season, which started in 2019, but I think it ended really strongly. Like you said, Luke, uh, it had a very emotional ending. Um, made you miss really miss those characters. Um, it, it just felt like a complete story, and also. The digitally de-aged uh, Mark Hamill showing up in the season finale of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a shocker. 
my honorable mentions, um, Motherland Fort Salem was my runner-up for Best New Show. I had no category to put this in. I really am going to have to rework these categories because there's obviously oh, some areas in which we have to like improve. Well, I didn't. I did not add. I did not add any this year, Mel. All right, go ahead. And I think I and I think that I even eliminated some last year because of complaints. So we may just have to rework them. Um, There was no real category for it, but Peacock had a show called Brave New World, which I did not know when I watched it. It is based on a book. Um, Great book. I. I thought the series was fantastic and the way the futuristic dystopian elements of between the societies that are not on the medications and how there's a pill for everything that pill popping with the little clicker became as creepy to me as the foot applause on motherland Fort Salem. It was an exploration of, and ironically, I'm sort of surprised it didn't do better this year because of, I mean, because it's been canceled uh, because of COVID, just because so many of us have been having to find ways to medicate, whether through actual drugs, food, or alcohol. I, I'm surprised that it did not do better. Maybe that's the reason it didn't do well. But it had great characterizations. It had some really interesting sex scenes. Um, it had some romance and it had sort of a hero's journey that was also very intriguing. And l- the, the fact that it's built on a, a dystopian society called new London. And when they go to look back at ancient history that is still being recreated, they come to the United States and see what, like, how things worked, which were not how things actually worked. Um, it it was a very interesting interpretation, but it it it's a thoroughly enjoyable um, season on Peacock. If you haven't watched it. Um, know that you, if you choose to, you'll only get to see one season, but Peacock is free, so you can watch it anytime. You don't have to worry about it. On that note, we would encourage you to comment on this episode, very controversial episode, um, <laughs> of Geek Confidential at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kurt. Mel is at Melody Akles. Dan is the real Dan Pierce. And Mo is Dr. Mo 77. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody. <laughs>